through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered, the eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Well, today what I'm doing is sharing wisdom that we have learned over the years. I'm sharing wisdom that's been shared with me. And what we did, our producers, we just picked five things, because we thought five was easy, that we thought could make your family happier. But y'all seem to be doing okay. Uh, the first one we've told you time and time again. And uh, this is so profound that uh, the time I ran this before, I got a letter from a woman in Texas, you know who you are, I won't embarrass you, but a woman in Texas who had told me that she was preparing to kill herself on the day that she heard this and that she had collected all of her pills to kill herself and she'd fed her children for the last time and sat down to watch the Oprah show and she turned it on and she heard this and decided not to kill herself but to live. I think that I come from a tradition of silence particularly my mother. Mm -hmm. But there are so many other times when I want to say things to her or I want to, I want to hear I love you. I haven't heard that very often from my mother. Mm -hmm. And I try to make sure I give that to my children. And I find myself trapped sometimes between both sides of the generations. There's a whole generation of people, particularly in our culture, who never learn to say I love you. Just, just never do. I don't ever remember hearing it. Ever, 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 ever. There's nothing more eloquent than a parent saying to a child, I love you. Isn't it amazing how easily we say we love popcorn or we love certain TV shows, but we don't say it to our own family? And so what this woman had heard was Maya Angelou say that, and uh, as a result of hearing that, realized that that was one of her roles in life, to be a spiritual teacher and leader for her children, and decided not to kill herself. And we're all glad you did. Uh, this is, is there a Diane Favors here, Diane? Hi, Diane. Diane doesn't Hi. know why she's here. She just thought she was coming to the Oprah show. And what'd you want to say to your mom? Um, I'm sorry. Um, losing dad has torn our hearts apart. Um, we lost our dad earlier in March. And I carried some guilt around because I never got the chance to tell him that I loved him. Um, in my heart, though, I know that he knows that now. But, um... I mean, you didn't physically say the words? I, I didn't, uh -huh. no. Um, and I've learned from that that tomorrow is promised to no one. Mm -hmm. And we are here today, and I wanted to just let you know here and today that I love you. I love you so much, and you are my everything. And I hope to become everything that you already are. Oh, thank you, Nicole. Okay. 
That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Where's David Bracken? Where's David Bracken? David, David, how are you? David's good. daughter, Anne, is here because she wanted to start a new tradition in their family. What do you want to say, Anne? I don't want that to happen to me. Um, that's what I'm worried about since you travel so much. Um, I can't believe I'm 20 years old, and I don't think I've ever told you that I love you. And I just really need you to know that you're the most important man in my life, and nothing is... Sorry. <laughs> Nothing's ever going to change that, no matter who I'm with. So. I love you, too. Maya Angelou says... Maya says, it's the most profound sentence you can ever speak. I love you. Say I love you. All right. There are other ways moms and dads can say I love you because a lot of you grew up, uh, I'm sure, the way I did, where nobody actually said it. Okay. Pass the tissue. <laughs> but people have ways of saying I love you without actually saying the word. So we went straight to the experts to ask about times they know they didn't hear the words I love you, but they certainly felt them. My mom and dad make me do a lot of chores because they love me, and these chores are do my bed, clean up after my sis, my brother and my sister. They read me bedtime stories. My mom walks me to school every morning because she loves me. My mom stays in my room until I go to sleep. Make sure my brother didn't put any toys under the bed. I love when my mom gives me hugs and kisses. My parents tell me to cover my mouth when I sneeze. My parents tell me not to talk with my mouth full. My parents taught me how to ride my bike. Take out the trash, wash the dishes, do my bed. Fun thing, how they love me. They give me discipline. Oh yeah, there's one more thing I forgot. I have to, I have to, I have to turn the computer off after my dad. I don't like spinach at all. But they make me eat it because they love me. They may not say it, but they do. We ask parents, too. This is what some of them say. I show my children love by reading with them at night, especially. That's my all-time favorite thing to do. Uh, I show my daughter love by learning from her and listening to her. Constant kisses. We like to kiss goodbye and hello and hugs. I'm not afraid to roll around in the grass and make her laugh and play on the swing sets. I try to show my daughter love by being available to her when, I, when she needs me. I show my daughter I love her by hanging out with her and doing girly things with her. I quit work when she was born, and which was a big decision. And she's now seven. It's the best decision I ever made. We also put together a few of our own favorite ways we all can say I love you. Buckle up is one of them, bring a sweater is another, eat your vegetables and be careful. And what about those moms who cut the crusts off their kids' sandwiches? <laughs> if that's not love, I don't know what is. <laughs> All right, Stephen Covey is the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. I can't say enough good things about it. If you're a person who has a family, this should be a staple in your family, this book. And here's our second secret to family happiness, we think. If they'll have a family night once a week where they meet together to talk about their values and their principles, to plan schedules, to have fun, to have an activity, once a week, one night for the family. Uh, I know what you're going to hear from people is we don't have the time. 
And if you don't have the time for one night or at least one hour of the week, then that means the family is not the priority. Yeah, because you see, you're trying to communicate the value in the other person. So I give you my valuable time. You matter more to me than anything, see? What do you want to do? What's important to you? It's supremely important. Once you make that commitment, almost everything else will flow from it. Okay. That principle and so many others are represented in the seven habits of highly effective families. Every family should own this book. I'm telling you. Now, I, we do a lot of books on this show, and if I tell you that the book is good, you can trust me. It really is. <laughs> because uh, other principles are represented in here. He says, ultimately, we must decide either to steer or to go where the river takes us. The key to successful steering is to be intentional about our family rituals. Another point I thought you'd like to hear. If we do not teach our children, society will, and they and we will have to live with the results. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. The Bai's family has made time together. Their top priority, top priority, Bai's, where are you? One of the main things we like to do is we like to have our meal together, one main family meal a day. You do? Yeah. And you make the time for it? Yeah, we, we do our best. It's, it's harder now when the kids are getting older to, to gather us all together, but um, we, we try. That, you know, that's a main focus for us. Yeah, and do you find it's hard to stay on track sometimes? Um, sometimes. I mean, there's some, there's days of the week where it doesn't happen because every, you know, somebody is missing, but, but we try and as much as we can, we do try to work our schedules around it as well. Even a few years ago when my husband worked, um, nights, we had our family dinner at noon. You did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had dinner together at noon, and then in the evening, the kids and I would just have a sandwich Because you do together. what you have to do. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about this book, can you tell I love the book? Um, uh, Stephen says that good families, this is how he starts the book, even great families are off track 90% of the time. The key is that they have a sense of destination, they know what the track looks like, and they keep coming back to it time and time again. So this feeling, a lot of people I know feel like they're off track, they're out of control, out of control, but if you have in the family, a sense of direction and mission, which we're going to talk about next, then your family can always get back on track. This next one sounds like it's from a company manual, but it amounts to knowing your goals and putting them down on paper. Our third family secret comes again from Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, who says there's nothing more important, nothing, listen to this, for a family than writing a mission statement and physically writing it down, not just talking about it, not just having it in your, in your head, but have everybody in the family come together, write it down. Everybody contributes to it, so everybody in the family knows the way that family is set up. So you have to first decide what is most important to this family. That's a family mission statement. Once you have that and you really have bought into it and everyone has participated in developing it, you've got the key to solving any problem that comes along. Laura and Michael Manning were here after having just written their mission statement for their family. What's happened since then? Well, because our families are constantly growing, we have two 17-year-olds and 11-year-olds. They're on their own right now in terms of doing jobs and things. We have a mandatory Sunday night dinner mm. where everybody knows by Sunday they have to be at home for dinner. 
and it's whether a, a traditional family dinner or we're out on the street, but we're together. So Sunday is the day. What was the mission statement for the family? What were some of the things you all said? Well, because we realized that our family was growing so rapidly, um, we wanted our family to grow closer as they grow as they grew older. And then how do you, does what you do every day manifest itself through that statement? Well, according to one, my oldest son, Shira, he says that we have a functional, dysfunctional family. <laughs> That's most people, right. So um, I'm the, the, the cleaving point there. I'm the one that has to make sure that all the schedules are untacked and everybody goes in their different directions. So I'm the one that will come together on Saturday or even on Friday and say, look, Sunday we're doing this, we're doing that. We will be together on Sunday afternoon at we 4 o'clock. We will some, be together. That's a soul food That's like right. the movie. Okay. That's right. Christine and Mark Southern also wrote a family mission statement. Christine and Mark, where are you? Right here. Okay. Hi. And what happened? What was your statement? Our statement was to spend more time together. Mm -hmm. We had a very chaotic, very stressful life with three small kids, and it was kind of out of control. But we, uh, our mission was to make the time to spend the time together we got more organized, more... See, because the truth is, once you set the mission, this is the truth for everything in your life. Those of you who are business people understand this, too, very clearly. And Stephen's th theory is, Stephen and Sandra, whose wife who helped write this book, because she helped raise the 12 children, too, um, <laughs> is, is that you treat your family like a business in many ways. Right. If you set the mission, then everything else comes out of the mission. And you can have what you want in life once you decide this is the way it's going to be. Exactly. And everything else flows out of that, correct? And it has. It yeah. has. It's really changed. We're not so stressed anymore, so uptight and everything is... Because you always keep going back to the mission, who yes. you are, who you are, yes. who are we as a family. Mm -hmm. We won't tolerate this behavior in this family because right. that isn't who we are as a family. Exactly. Right. All right. Sarah Bonbronic is the author of Simple Abundance and has been a frequent guest on our show. Sarah gives our fourth um, secret to family happiness. Make your house a member of the family. Make your house a member of the family. You know, sometimes we think that houses are what we should be when really it's a home. A home is what we really are. So the idea is to bring this soulfulness into the home. And one of the ways that you do that is by making every member of the family contribute to your home. Have the pictures of the family um, around as decoration. It will give the children such a deep sense of joy to know how proud you are. Kids love to think that they can bring their friends to your home. And they can that when you relax and realize that no room should really be off limits. It's a family and you should be happy that everybody is there. Now, sometimes love grows best in little houses. Anna and Raymond say their family of nine kids is closely knit because you grew up in a small space? Yes. Really? We had three-bedroom apartment um, house with eight kids in it. Woo. But we, we have a lot of fun, though. We get together after well, dinner. We have two beds in each bedroom? Yeah, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk a lot. We share a lot. Mm -hmm. We're very close. And you think being in a small house has helped you be closer? Yeah, it has. Because I, I grew up in a small house, so I was really close to my family, too. Well, sometimes, you know, the nicest homes are too big to feel homey. Mm -hmm. um, I, know, I know somebody, as a matter of fact, my business manager had a huge house and just moved out because he said the house wasn't family friendly because they're always speaking on the, you know, intercoms all the time. Anybody else aware of that? Yeah, you? 
house to a 3,200 square foot house. Mm -hmm. And we're really struggling to be connected in this large space. Mm -hmm. We find that we're only really living in a few rooms as it is. And so we're, we're continually going towards those, those rooms. And the other space is just, yeah. you know, stuff that I have to dust and vacuum and yeah. keep maintained. Yeah. Wow. See, you were doing it right all along, Anna. Sarah Bonbronick is the woman who inspired my keeping a gratitude journal and to start taking notice of the simple miracles in life. And here's what Sarah has to say about our next lesson. Celebrate the everyday. I think that what happens is that we tend to think that it's the big moments that mark our lives, uh, the, the new baby moving into the new home, you know, the big promotion. Actually, those are the punctuation marks. The narrative of our lives are how you eat dinner, how you put your children to bed. It's the simple, it's the small, and it's the sweet. Uh, one of my favorites is um, a spontaneous grace. And instead of just um, a prayer, which is always appropriate, um, why not have each member say the one thing that made them the happiest that day? It's sort of an oral gratitude journal. There are just so many different little things that you can do. And the amazing thing is that you're probably doing a lot of them anyway. But if you just focus on it, just bring your attention to it, that's the consecrating, you'll be able to discover that you're gonna have many, many opportunities to celebrate and cherish everyday life. So, Sarah who wrote Simple Abundance, Simple Abundance, Sarah wrote Simple Abundance and who started us with the idea of everybody keeping a grateful journal says that you should have happiness grace because, you know, I, I, as many of you did, grew up in a home where you had to say grace and every night you're trying to think of a different one and trying to probably get yours out quick. Jesus wept, Jesus wept, uh, so that you can move on with the dinner. But the idea of saying, you know, Meister Eichhardt said this, that if the only prayer you ever say is thank, thank you, then that will be enough. So the idea of having happiness grace at the table is that not only do you get to say the grace and God appreciates you being happy as much as, you know, memorizing a verse from the Bible, but you get to see what made your child or any other member of your family particularly happy and grateful that day. I think that's a nice thing to pass on. All right, next meet a former NFL superstar with a new goal. On the field, he was adored by fans. Jim Kelly was a star quarterback who led the Buffalo Bills to four straight Super Bowls. Off the field, he was surrounded by love from his wife, Jill, and daughter, Erin. I love Daddy. It's what everybody always told you it was going to be like when your daughter runs down the hallway or she sees she runs down yelling, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Where's Daddy? Let's, Let's go find him. Okay. Let's go find him. <laughs> this Valentine's Day on Jim's 37th birthday, Another beautiful gift arrived, a baby boy named Hunter. Jim, who grew up in a family of all boys, had always had dreams of having his own son. But several months after Hunter was born, Jim took a blow that was harder than anything he'd ever faced on that football field. My son smiled at the beginning a little bit, and all of a sudden, gradually, it started disappearing. And all of a sudden, my son became very stiff. We found out that he suffered from leukodystrophy and a disease called crab ace. And the illness is fatal. Majority of children don't live past the, year, the age of two. And that's something that it's hard for us to accept. At only eight months old, this tiny baby boy has taught the Kelly family the most important lessons of their lives. I've learned to, number one, appreciate 
um, time. I appreciate my faith in God. Appreciate my spouse, Jim. Appreciate Aaron and Hunter. And most importantly, I've learned what unconditional love, true unconditional love is all about. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. We want people to be more aware of that. You look across the dinner table. You look in the back seat of your car. You look at you know, the children around you. Look at your, your son, your daughter. Look at your wife. Thank God for what you have. I love Hunter Boy. Yeah, you love Hunter Boy. I love him too. Well, Jim Kelly and his wife, Jill, are here with their son, Hunter, because they want Hunter's story to teach people to cherish every moment with their children, whether it is a child who is ill or a child who is healthy. I thought that was so profound, what you said. You just look right around you. You look in the back seat of your car. And what I was saying to you before we, we, during the commercial break is that one of the reasons we wanted to do this show is so that people get that before there is a crisis, there is an illness in their life. That's what it's all about. I mean. You think of everything that goes on. I mean, I was blessed to have come from a family of six boys and, and no girls. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's a blessing to have no girls. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we grew up appreciating each other, knowing what our values were. And when I decided to marry Jill and we had our daughter Erin and, and, of course, our son, um, the first couple months, you know, it was the happiest day of my life. I mean, my son, born on my birthday, which is Valentine's Day. Oh. Um, my brothers all having boys, so the pressure was on us to have a boy, and all of a mm -hmm. sudden, here we were, uh, had a healthy, at the time, thought it was a healthy baby boy, and within two months, he started developing stiffness, and within the four-month period, uh, we had him tested, and all of a sudden, we found out it was leukodystrophy. And but at was... first, Jill, didn't they think it was, they thought it was cerebral palsy? Actually, at first, we thought it was colic, uh -huh. because um, one of the main symptoms of Crabbe's disease is that they are extremely irritable. Uh -huh. And irritable, and I, it's just like a constant scream 24 hours a day, except really? for when they're sleeping, and they didn't, he didn't do much of that. And so we thought it was colic for so long. We were changing formulas, like you usually do when mm -hmm. a child has colic. And then um, we went in, and they looked at him. We were just checking for an ear infection, in fact. Mm -hmm. And they said that he was showing signs of cerebral palsy. And at that time, of course, we were devastated. However, with cerebral palsy, you can do something about it. You mm -hmm. can make, you know, I, we could have made his life the best we possibly could, and we still are doing that. However, they live. Cerebral and palsy isn't fatal, yes. That's right. And so we had another opinion, and they said he had cerebral palsy again, or he was showing signs of it. And we just weren't really convinced with that, because yeah. he continued to be irritable, and he continued to be more stiff, and then we... You know, mm -hmm. had some blood work done, and that's when we... And so how did they come up with Crabbe's disease, and what is that? Well, Crabbe's disease, it's in a family of leukodystrophies, mm -hmm. and what leukodystrophies are, they affect the white matter in your brain. Mm -hmm. And in a human's brain, the white matter controls any movements, um, mm -hmm. your swallowing, your eyesight, your hearing. And um, Crabbe's specifically, Hunter lacks an enzyme in his body to help produce myelin, which is white matter. Mm -hmm. And because he lacks that enzyme, there's toxins that build up in his brain and actually, you know, kill his brain, basically. Mm -hmm. And how he actually has the disease is that he and I both carry a, a gene. Very mm -hmm. rare gene at uh, a couple hundred thousand to one of odds of us both carrying. And the wildest thing is, we both had to be carriers of the gene in order for our son to have the illness. And okay, but it didn't affect Aaron. No, 25% will be affected with a disease like Hunter. 25% will not even have any, any signs or any symptoms of it like Aaron. 
or 50% can be carriers like Jill wow. and I. And you both had to have it in order for it to pass yes. it on. Right. Wow. That's what we say too. <laughs> wow. Amazing. So at first, what did you, what did you do? You well, weren't, no, were you this hopeful, this, you, did you have this great outlook at first or first mm -hmm. you cried? Well, cry wasn't the word for it. Uh, we, we shed many tears, many days, many nights, uh, trying to find ways of making Hunter as comfortable as possible and also trying to make our daughter realize that, you know, we're not just here to hold Hunter. I mean, at the beginning, I mean, she's only two and a half years old and when he first was diagnosed with it, our daughter was two years of age, so she wanted the attention too. Um, if there's any positive came out of it, mommy's little girl turned into daddy's little girl. Really? And I spent more time with Aaron because Jill was so involved in making sure Hunter was taken care of and our family became so close now and not just our family but our surrounding fans, my family with my brothers and of course Jill's family with her yeah. mother and dad. Because you know it can work both ways. A lot of times when there's illness or disruption in the family, people go the opposite so. way. So what is the prognosis? What did the doctor say? They're pretty much hesitant right now of coming out and really telling us how long. There's only been two, I think, two cases of infantile crab A's disease, disease where the children have lasted past the age of two. Right now, we just give them as much love and care right now as possible. Um, you know, there's different medications he's on to make him less irritable, less stiff, and we're trying to wean him off some of them and seeing if he could open his eyes a little bit more, which 90%, 95% of the time his eyes are closed. but we're coming to find out that it's not really the medication that's doing it, it's the disease. It's the disease. Right. You know, this all seems very sad, but that your house is really a very happy place. Mm -hmm. It's very happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, especially, well, of course, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter who makes us mm -hmm. extremely happy with the little things that she does and make us laugh constantly. But it's happy because we spend every single minute doing whatever a normal family would do together. We have a good time, we play in the playroom, and we appreciate that time mm -hmm. so much more because we have no idea mm -hmm. what tomorrow we might bring. And we Are you always aware that you may not have him tomorrow? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think about it every day. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't. However, I try not to look into the future too much mm -hmm. because it is so hard. Mm -hmm. What have you said to Aaron about it, if anything? No, mm -hmm. no. We don't really say much, uh, you know, I don't think this is the time to say it anyway, mm -hmm. and I don't think she would understand. She knows that Hunter, you know, is dealing with a few boo-boos here and there, but otherwise, she, that's her brother, and this is normal to her. Yeah, but what's, what's cute about it is Hunter has to be fed through a, a G-tube, through his stomach, and Aaron's, all of Aaron's baby dolls are fed through the stomach now. Oh. And oh. Uh, her little button, all... Hunter has a little button, but everybody else's button is her belly button. So really? that's all our daughter feeds all her baby dolls. Really? And, it, and it's cute. And we don't do anything to, uh, you know, push her away from doing that. She enjoys it. And uh, she loves our son just as much as we do. I mean, she calls him little Hunter boy. and You're going to be all right. And she holds his hand. She probably kisses him as much as we do. Yeah. That's Aaron over there, half sleeping, half not. <laughs> and that's your mom, Jill, right? Right. Yeah. Who helps? Do you have a, you were saying earlier, you have a lot of family support? We have a tremendous amount of family support. Jim's brother, number one, has been quite a blessing. But my mother is, I truly don't know what I would do without my mom. Mm -hmm. I'll, um, put, I'll let me, because you always hear things about mother-in-laws and father-in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> I've been blessed with the mother-in-law that I have. If it wasn't for her, we don't know where we would be. And number one is I have a, a career that I'm doing broadcasting of games, and I'm away on the weekends. But more than that, 
Jackie, which is my mother-in-law, has taken leave from absence to spend more time with Hunter because we don't know what tomorrow will hold, but more than that, she is able to spend time with him and give us time that we can spend, at least go out to dinner every mm -hmm. once in a while because there for a few months, we were doing nothing but taking care of Hunter and Aaron, which is, which is what we wanted to do. But we find ourselves at 9, 10 o'clock at night after we put both of them to bed, we'd be too tired to spend time with each other and we would go to bed. So, um, Jackie, thank you very much for everything you've done. Yeah, thank you. Um, we've received thousands and thousands of letters and one thing that we both do and Jill does and we have helped doing it is we, we're keeping books uh, binders and we probably have about 10 binders now full of all the cards, cards the letters, the prayer nice. cards, yeah. um, everything you can think about. I mean, so many people have been, been very good to us. I mean, we're, our first big fundraiser is All-Star Cafe in New York City. They, they set up just for us, for the Hunter's Hope Foundation and the support that we've gotten. I mean, uh, people just lend their hands. A friend of Jerry Bukite uh, took care of us, made sure we were able to come in here. We can bring all of our family here. So, so many people have pulled together to share this So the with foundation us. isn't for Hunter, it's for other people who have other children who have the... It's Hunter's Hope is set up, number one, for the awareness like we were talking about. The more people that are aware of it, the better off children are down the road. And what we're doing now, we're setting up the foundation for research and hopefully down the road, the cure. But our number one goal now is to make people more aware of it because our pediatrician didn't know what Crabbe's disease was. Our doctors didn't know what it was and all of a sudden, the more people that we've talked to, the more people that have heard about it, we all of a sudden find out all these individuals, more people with crab A's disease. But one thing that we want to both do, we want to be an impact. We want to be able to do something. And finally, we, w we just want people to realize, love your child no matter if he's disabled, whether you know something's wrong with him or whether he's healthy. Make sure you love your child as much as possible today because you never know what's, what's in store for you tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Joe. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. <laughs>